Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, joined by Brendan Mortensen and Tim Leonard via Zoom, all three in separate locations for a much-hyped, much-anticipated All-Earl Weaver draft. Gentlemen, how are you feeling? Brendan, this, this draft has been talked about, discussed, promoted for so long, and we are finally here. How do you feel? You know, it doesn't feel real, Yeah, almost. The amount of hype, I mean, just all of Twitter, baseball Twitter, all of sports Twitter, really, has been talking about this all Earl Weaver draft. It seems like for months. I mean, I, I can't think for of years. anything else. That, and it, for years, even, before the idea was even had, people were talking about this draft as a possibility, and... I am concerned with the amount of prep that that you have done just from hearing how often that you have talked about it. But, you know, it, it's it's deservedly so for the amount of hype that this draft is. Getting. I've lost far too much sleep over my draft board. Tim, how much prep have you done personally for this draft? Obviously, uh, you have been covering the Orioles for less time than the two of us, but uh, it seems like you are pretty prepared to uh, select the best players of the Earl Weaver era. I am confident that I am prepared, Paul, but I'm also increasingly more confident that I have not done as much prep as you. <laughs> so I, but I think that leaves me in the perfect spot where I have not over prepped the extra week of time. Yeah. I got with my scouts a little bit more. We went over some of the final, you know, draft boards, big board <laughs> adjustments here, but I think we've got the right headset. We haven't over prepped, but we, but we also haven't under prepped, yeah. which is that fine line. All right. Well, let's let's talk about what we're doing here. So essentially, we are going to be selecting the best players who ever played under Earl Weaver in Baltimore. So last year we did the all Camden Yards draft where we set the boundaries from 1992 to present. So for this draft here, we're going to be setting the boundaries from 1968 until 1986. So that's the the Earl Weaver era. Now, that includes a couple seasons, partial seasons, where Earl was not the manager, and it includes, uh, you know, some seasons where he was not the manager for the entire season. But the Earl Weaver era was arguably one of the best eras in Baltimore sports history, in baseball history. Uh, Earl was hired as a first base coach back before the 1986 season, then Harry Dalton fired Hank Bauer halfway through that season, and he tapped Earl Weaver to replace him. The only losing season that Earl had as a manager in Baltimore came in 1986, which is his final season. And, of course, to the younger generations, he's probably known more for his legendary umpire confrontations. If you haven't seen the one on YouTube where the ump is mic'd up and you can hear the entire conversation uncensored, I would highly suggest it. It's one of the funniest things that you'll ever hear. And it speaks to how steadfast Earl was and how much of a pain he could be to umpires in getting his own way. And also, that kind of bled over into the clubhouse as well, into how he uh, reacted with his players, but was able to get the most out of them. And 
a 583 all-time winning percentage, that speaks to that as well. 1,480 wins as manager. That's by far the most in Orioles history. He was also ejected 94 times, which is the third most in baseball history. He went into Cooperstown in 1996, and he passed away, unfortunately, in 2013 at the age of 82. And you can still see his statue, of course, out in left center field at Oriole Park at Camden Yard. So the reason that we're doing this draft is one, to kind of honor that era of Orioles, to honor Earl as a manager, in addition to filling content. We hope that you enjoy, if you're a young Orioles fan who never got to see those Earl Weaver teams like we are, or if you're an older Orioles fan who was a fan of those teams growing up, we hope that you can enjoy it nonetheless. So, Brendan, I'm going to throw it to you to discuss some of the rules of this draft. Yeah, so you already mentioned it's the all Earl Weaver draft. So we are drafting players who put up numbers under Earl from 1968 to 1986. We're not going to count those weird seasons where Earl was retired or only managed for half a season. Only a player stats with the Orioles count. So he could have had a great career somebody somewhere else after only playing for a brief time with the Orioles. But we are only counting that production with Baltimore. The length of stay with the Orioles games played is important if two guys have identical stats, but one of them played a thousand more games than the other. That length of stay counts and it matters. So that guy who played for the Orioles longer with identical stats would then be more valuable. The player has to have played the position that they are being drafted for. So you can't draft Kyle Ripken Jr. and put him in center field as much as I might like to. You can draft any hitter to be your designated hitter because the DH didn't come about until 1973, so we would be cutting off some years of production. So any hitter can be your DH. It's a snake draft. We are not trading picks, and the rosters will include one starter from around the diamond, including that DH, like I mentioned, four starting pitchers, and two relievers. I don't think I missed any of the rules, Paul. No, I think you got them all. And we're doing rounds one through seven on this podcast before we do the rounds eight through 15 on our next podcast. And then after that, we're going to throw it to you, the listeners and viewers, to vote on whose team is best. Uh, And a key reminder here, you're going to hear a lot of great names of guys, and you're probably going to think these guys got drafted too low. But a reminder that only the production that they put up during the 1968 to 1986 time frame counts. So if a guy was great before 1968 and then had a couple down years after that, he might get drafted a lot lower than he would have if this was an all-time Orioles draft. So keep that in mind as we go along. All right, guys. Do you guys feel confident and ready to go here? I'm amped up. I'm ready. All right. Well, let's start things off. We did on our last podcast. Uh, the draft lottery, and it was uh, thrilling, as you might say. So we, it is a snake draft, which means uh, I get the first, the number one overall pick. That's just how the lottery balls bounce. Brendan will get the second overall pick. Tim gets three and four. Then Brendan gets five. I get six and seven and so on and so forth. All right, guys. I have spent very little time deciding who I was going to take with this number one overall pick because this one is pretty obvious. I'm going to select with my number one overall pick in the all Earl Weaver draft, the best pitcher to have ever donned an Orioles uniform, a pitcher who during this time frame was a six-time All-Star, won three Cy Youngs, three gold gloves, 245 games, had a 274 ERA, pitched 3,568 and two-thirds innings, and of course gave up 
zero grand slams. Jim Palmer will be my number one overall selection because you're getting 14 full seasons of Palmer. You're not getting his 1966 season where he pitched in the World Series and they shocked the Dodgers in four games. I get that, but you're still getting the vast majority of Jim Palmer's incredible career. And if you're a younger fan who has not watched highlights of Jim Palmer pitching or has not gone back and looked at the stats to understand just why he's so revered around baseball, I suggest that you do it. They are absolutely mind-boggling statistics. There's never been a pitcher like him in Orioles history. Jim Palmer is my number one overall pick. Yeah, it's the right pick. It's pretty much the only pick number one overall. I mean, even if you just want to look at war, and that's all you're basing it off of, Jim Palmer runs away from the rest of the field. Easy number one overall pick. Kind of like the all Camden Yards draft where Mike Messina was far and away the number one overall pick. He's Jim Palmer's the right pick here as well. Yeah. Tim, what do you think? It's definitely the right pick. I was blown away by the number of complete games yeah. on his baseball reference page. Just purely that statistic made me fall out of my chair. So it's the easy number one pick. I'm happy for you, Paul, because I think you made the right selection here. Yeah, I got my Joe Burrow. I got my, uh, you know, slam dunk number one pick. And now it's up to Brendan to select the number two overall pick. Brendan, have you decided upon a player? I have, and it's kind of very similar to your thinking with the number one overall pick. The number two overall pick is not very hard. And unfortunately, even though you are not getting all of his prime production, you are still getting 1,500 games of my number two overall pick, and that is Eddie Murray. He is far and away the best position player available. He's the best player available at this point. Had a war of almost 50 in those 1,500 games played. And his stretch from 81 to 85 is unbelievable. His MVP finishes that year were fifth, second, second, fourth, and fifth. <laughs> I mean, Eddie Murray was a mainstay for the Orioles for a ton of years. He was, again, by far the best position player available in this draft. So Eddie Murray is the selection. Yeah, and you're not getting his 500th home run that he hit at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in 1996. I get that. But more than half of his career homers came during these 10 seasons and obviously Earl wasn't the manager for the 83 and 84 and parts of the 85 season but according to these rules we are counting those seasons so Eddie Murray to me was a slam dunk pick as well and I want to get Tim's reaction Tim are you surprised at all that Eddie Murray comes off the board at number two no, this big board is falling right in line with what my scouts told me. I'm in a good position here. I, I like my guys that I've zeroed in on and on the three and the four selection and everything's going according to plan so far. Okay. So I agree with the pick, Brendan. All right, Tim, you have back-to-back -back picks here with three, four. You're in a pretty nice spot here. Oh, this is going to be painful. Yeah. Who are you taking here, yes. Tim? I would first like to thank the lottery balls for falling the way they did to give me this generous three and four selection. I will start it off by taking a guy who you may have heard of before. His name is Cal Ripken Jr. Now you're only getting five seasons, starting with his rookie year in 1982, all the way through 1986 of Cal Ripken Jr. But you still get an MVP season. You still get a war or a wins above replacement of about 35 over those five seasons, which is about seven per year. He had a 10 war alone in 1984. And I don't know if you guys have heard, 
but he plays in a lot of games. It's kind of his thing. <laughs> He's kind of the Iron Man. So you're counting on him being out there each and every game. So he is my shortstop and my third pick. Yeah, I mean, you're getting an MVP season, which came under John Altabelli, but again, we're counting it. Rookie of the year, just incredible statistics put up by Cal Ripken. And I think I know who your next pick is going to be here too as well, Tim. I'm going to stay with the left side of the infield. Yeah. going to go over to third base and get another Orioles legend, Brooks Robinson, who you are missing some of his prime, I will admit, because you're only evaluating from 1968 on. So that's his age 31 to age 40 seasons. But he was still an all-star every single year from 1968 to 1974. He still racked up a whole lot of war that puts him kind of on par with this pick. 36 war over his first seven full starting seasons that you kind of are evaluating here, about five war per year. He was a gold glove guy each year from 1968 to 1975. I don't have to keep going because people know about Brooks Robinson. I'm very happy with Cal Ripken, Brooks Robinson, left side of my infields. Great start to this draft. Yeah, I mean, you're getting the very beginning of of Cal Ripken's career and the end of Brooks Robinson's career. And it is an absolutely perfect mix and match there because you're getting the veteran in Brooks for, you know, his age 31 and afterward seasons. And then you're getting the first incredible seven or so years of uh, Cal or six years, excuse me, of Cal Ripken Jr. So absolutely home run picks right there in three and four. I think that Honestly, puts Tim in the lead at this point, but, you know, a lot of draft yet to be completed here. And we have Brendan with the number five pick, and Brendan, I'm, I'm sure, no surprise there, but disappointment nonetheless that neither Ripken nor Brooks fell to you. Yeah, it hurt to watch. Uh, I mean, based on war, they're not the two best players there, but based on their peaks and obviously the name value, I think Cal Ripken Jr. and Brooks Robinson at the three and four makes a ton of sense. Now the fifth overall pick is where things get really interesting. Yeah, the draft starts now. Any, right. There are no home runs at this spot. At this point, there are some guys who played with the Orioles forever and were consistently very good. And there are some also, there are also some players with a better peak that are also in consideration for this fifth overall pick. Oh, and I'm still torn as I'm making it here. But I think my selection at this point <laughs> is going to have to be Mark Belanger. Whoa! He played 1,874 games under Earl Weaver and did not have any peak seasons. He was not elite for any years, but he was consistently very good at shortstop. He was able to hold down that position for what seemed like forever, he had a defensive war under Earl Weaver of 38.8, which is ridiculous. So Mark Belanger, even though he didn't have the peak, is going to be my selection here. The war over that time, you, you just rack it up. He's He's got a war of 41.2 under this era. Mark Belanger is the pick. It's pretty wild to think that you're taking somebody here with the fifth overall pick that has 20 career homers, but yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong to do so. And, and a career batting average, I believe under 230, but you're not wrong to do so because his defense was just so good. He was nicknamed the blade. He was locked down that position for over a decade 
At the end of his tenure in Baltimore, he was a little bit critical of Earl Weaver's managerial style, spent almost his entire career as an Oriole, won a, you know, more than one World Series in Baltimore. So I think this is an excellent pick here. The offensive production was obviously left a lot to be desired, but when you are the Orioles' all-time leader in defensive war, according to baseball reference, that is pretty mind-boggling considering some of the <laughs> the great defenders that have come through Baltimore. So I, I can't complain about that pick. Uh, what do you think, Tim? He was next on my big board. So good yeah. selection there, Brendan. I think the gold gloves, I believe there were eight of them over this time period. I really think you can't go wrong with him. Consistent guy at that shortstop position, such a valuable position for defense. And I mean, as a fellow tall and skinny guy, nicknamed the blade, that's just, that hits right at home. There, so. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, like you mentioned, Tim, eight gold gloves, that slugging percentage, 282. <laughs> which is insane yeah that is uh it is pretty mind-boggling the difference there but still worthy of that pick if you're watching by the way live on uh, youtube and facebook i have the big board in front of us so that you can keep track of the picks as they're being made and i have back-to-back picks here fellas and that mark belanger pick wasn't too much of a shock for me there already is a first baseman off the board i'm gonna go with another first baseman here with my next pick. And that's going to be John Wesley Boog Powell. Seven seasons under Earl Weaver. He led the Orioles in home runs in four of those seven seasons. He finished his career third in Orioles history in home runs with 303. Won an MVP, four-time All-Star under Earl Weaver. To me, the the gap between Boog Powell and the rest of the first baseman is huge because Boog was just as good as his persona in Baltimore indicates. And the kind of legend that he created here, uh, now, of course, having Boog's barbecue out in right center field where you can you know still see him and hang out with him. Uh, I went back and watched some highlights of Boog Pal and watching him run around the bases was pretty funny because he was just as big. He looks exactly the same then as he does now. Uh, but Boog Pal put up some incredible numbers. And I have a, a big slugger in my lineup here, guys. You do, but interestingly, Paul, I did not have Boog Powell going this early in the drafts. And no doubt the peak is great for Boog. He finished first in MVP voting, won an MVP, and second in MVP voting. So that peak is fantastic. But a cumulative war of 22.9, there are a lot of other position players that I had on my board higher up just because the war for the amount of games that they played under Earl Weaver, they were just better for a longer stretch of time, even though they didn't have that peak. Tim, did you have Boog Powell this high on your big board? I didn't, but full disclosure, I was really, my sources, my scouts were zeroing in on him for my next round of selection. And I think it's because of the point you brought up, Paul, where there's a drop-off in first baseman after Boog Powell. And we've already seen Eddie Murray go. So for me, sort of starts the chain of first baseman and it makes those first basemen even more valuable going forward because you want to make sure you grab one of those elite first basemen so you're not left with someone that's in a totally different tier than the Boog Powell, Eddie Murray tier. Absolutely. And I'm going to stick with the infield with my next pick, guys. And I'm going to go with a three-time All-Star during this time period, won four gold gloves, underrated Southern California surfer, good-looking, great mustache, Bobby Gritch. And if you haven't heard Bobby Gritch's name as an Orioles fan, I don't blame you because he's not talked about as much as some of the legends 
But Bobby Rich put up some pretty incredible statistics during this time frame. During the seven seasons he had in Baltimore, he put up 36 war, according to baseball reference, which is more than five war per season. That is would be tops in this draft, aside from Cal Ripken Jr. Incredible production during the short time frame that he was here. Uh, great defender. And it's a shame that we're breaking up the double play combination between Mark Belanger and Bobby Gritch here. But I have to do it because Bobby Gritch can play second base. He's probably going to be second base for now, but I can move him to shortstop if I need him to be. I know he's probably more known for his time in California, but Bobby Gritch, I was looking at his numbers. It's a shame he doesn't even get more Hall of Fame buzz because of the production that he put up both offensively and defensively during this time frame, guys. Yeah, Bobby Gritch, kind of unbelievably good when I looked at the numbers. <laughs> it, it was weird to see someone who really Orioles fans don't talk about all that much put up as good of production as he had. Yeah. I mean, this guy outpaced Cal Ripken Jr. It's unbelievable. So Bobby Gritch, also a very good pick at this point because the middle infield, I think, very quickly is going to thin out. So Bobby Gritch's value probably even increases there just because of how thin that middle infield might be in the later rounds. Exactly. All right, Brendan, you're on the clock here with this next pick. Who are you taking? Yeah, another very interesting one here. I think there's probably two names that I'm looking at, and they're both in the outfield, one of which being Ken Singleton and the other one being Paul Blair. But because of the peak performance, I think I'm going to go with Singleton here. The defense really holds him back from having a lot better numbers than he had when you look at the advanced statistics. He had a war of 30 under Earl Weaver in the, uh, excuse me, just under 1,500 games that he played because the defensive war was at negative 14.6. But he does have three all-star games in there, three top 20 MVP finishes, including a third-place finish and a second-place finish. So Ken Singleton and that offensive production, he's going to be a power-hitting right fielder or left fielder somewhere in my lineup. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick him in just for the sake of our big board here in right field for now. Does that work for you, Brendan? Yeah, it works for me. All right, yeah, I mean, he led the Orioles in batting average in each of his four seasons in Baltimore on some pretty loaded teams. Of course, he came over in a deal that sent, sent Rich Coggins and Dave McNally to Montreal, and he's underrated in terms of Orioles history. He's now currently a broadcaster with a different team, uh, but he's such a nice guy. He came up to uh, All Access several years ago for an interview and was the nicest, most relaxed guy. Just kind of, you know, softer spoken, which is weird to say for a broadcaster, but just down-to-earth guy who was on some pretty star-loaded teams and really held his own as a a great Oriole, an all-time great Oriole in Ken Singleton. Tim? Yeah, good pick, Brendan. I was down to, I was kind of hoping that you would take Paul Blair and leave me with Singleton, honestly, because those were the next two guys on my big board as well. But I will take Paul Blair with my next pick now that you leave him for me. And that's not a bad consolation by any means, because he still racked up about 31 war over the nine seasons we're counting here. He's one of the better defenders at center field in really MLB or baseball history at this point. Seven consecutive gold gloves. He had eight total, but seven of those coming with Earl Weaver. He was a two-time All-Star, and he was a part of a lot of winning teams in that stretch where 1969, 1971, where the Orioles were mainstays in the fall classic. 
part of the 1970 World Series run, big part of that stretch in the postseason. So I will take him as my leadoff bat and my center fielder. Yeah, not just a winner with the Orioles. He was a four-time World Series champion, won two with the Yankees as well. Unfortunately, passed away at the age of 69 in 2013 in Baltimore. So he stayed around the area. He was nicknamed Motormouth by teammates because of how much he would talk in center field and entertain guys. Paul Blair, to me, one of the best center fielders in certainly in Orioles history and, you know, on the fringes of the best center fielders in baseball history. I like this pick here. Yeah, and a common theme through the beginning of this draft here with some really good defensive players. Paul Blair racking up a 15.7 defensive war over his time in center field and was a mainstay there for a reason. Well, that's that's the staple of an Earl Weaver team. You know, pitching defense and the three-run homer. We So far, we've seen Boog Powell who can hit a three-run homer. We've seen... Uh, Ken Singleton, who can th- hit a three-run homer, and then we've seen some great defensive players in Paul Blair, Mark Belanger, and we've seen the greatest pitcher, pitcher in Orioles history off the board. All right, Tim, back-to-back picks, so make your next pick here. So this leaves me in sort of an interesting spot. I think I'm going to go with a guy that actually sort of replaced Brooks Robinson at third base, but if you guys will allow it, I will move him to the other spot of the corner infield and put him as my first baseman, and that is Doug DeSense. Whoa! Shocker! Allowed, just want to make sure. Yeah, go for that's, it. That's allowed. It, okay. it is allowed. So, that's tough, so he'll though. be my first baseman, and you know, the reason why I'm going for him, it might be a little bit of a reach based on his production, but I am just terrified of having a first baseman outside of him at this point after Paul went and grabbed Boog Powell, who I was really hoping would fall to me. And I'm still getting a guy who you look at just his 1978 season, 28 homers, 872 OPS. He basically averaged like right around a three and a half war once he took over for Robinson and is a power bat that, I guess I can sort of throw at third base occasionally if we're playing out a hypothetical season, but he will be my first baseman. I, uh, to be honest, he was not, I did not see anybody taking him as a first baseman because he was more known as a third baseman and even a second baseman. I mean, great player. Kicked off Orioles magic with a walk-off homer in 1979. You know, you can still see his picture walking around the concourse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards for that. And similar to Bobby Gritch, he went on to have success with California after his time in Baltimore. But to me, Brendan, I, I thought that there were going to be some higher-profile names taken with that pick. But Doug DeSensei is still a, a very solid player. Yeah, I think with DeSensei, it was kind of the Boog Powell argument where you just don't want to run out of a position. And now it seems like we all have pretty good first baseman, but the rest of the infield is certainly going to be interesting. Yeah, And Tim kind of makes my decision here with my next pick because like you said Paul there's still some pretty good high profile names left on the board all right Brendan who is that pick Ooh, well I'm still deciding between the high profile names because <laughs> I think there are some good pitchers that I could take and I think I need to take a pitcher at this spot and I think the one I'm going to go with is Dave McNally He did not pitch for as long as the other pitchers that I had in mind. He only started 256 games in the Earl Weaver era. But the games that he did start, he had the best remaining stats and the best peak out of anybody available. He had an ERA of three even. He had three top five Cy Young finishes, including a second place finish. He had a war of 21.1 over that time. I know we don't really look at pitcher war 
terribly much, but I think Dave McNally of the remaining pitchers available was the best during his peak. So he's my pick here. So I have Jim Palmer as my ace. Now, Brendan has Dave McNally, who spent his 1962 to 1974 seasons in Baltimore. Some pretty incredible statistics that you just railed off there. He's also the only pitcher in the history of the game to hit a grand slam in the World Series. Impressive resume for Dave McNally. Tim, what do you think about the fact that two pitchers are now off the board and and you don't get to pick for a few picks? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a little tense about that, but there are a lot of good pitchers, I think, still available. And honestly, I think you could have made a case for a couple other guys to be taken in that same tier as Dave McNally. So now I'm just sort of hoping that some of those guys fall to me here. Totally understandable. All right, guys, I am pretty surprised that this guy fell all the way to me. But with my next pick, actually, yeah, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this pick here, and then I'm going to make my two picks, and then after that, we're going to run through our rosters just to... Uh, keep people who are just listening up to date on what we are going going through here. But I have, I'm going to take a guy who still has a statue out in left center field in uh, Oriole Park at Camden Yards. One of the best players to have ever come through Baltimore would be a manager later in his career, a Hall of Famer, Frank Robinson, with my next pick. And I'm going to stick him in the outfield because I know you're only getting four seasons under Earl Weaver here. But Frank Robinson still finished with 19.3 baseball reference war, which means he was averaging 4.8 per season. So you're not getting his triple crown MVP season in 1966 when he won the World Series that year with them. However, you're getting an unbelievable player from 1968 to 1971 who can play right field, left field. He put up 7.5 war in 1969 before eventually he was traded to the Dodgers in 1971 for Doyle, Alexander, and others. One of the greatest trades in Orioles history that got him here from Cincinnati. One of the greatest trades in baseball history that got Frank Robinson in Baltimore. So Frank Robinson is going to be my next pick, guys. I I can't believe he let me get him here. Yeah, I I mean, Frank Robinson is a good pick, and I think he probably goes around this range, Paul, playing a little bit of the social media game with Frank Robinson and <laughs> Powell, but, you know, I'm not going to have any qualms here. Frank Robinson's still great, but again, you only get 543 games, and yes, it's elite production, but I guess the case can be made there, too, because, Paul, you already have the ace of your rotation, so you don't need to go for one of the other starting pitchers at this point, but I don't know, leaning, leaning a little bit into that social media vote, I think, Tim. I agree. I, I had him a little bit lower on my board just based on pure production, but he is Frank Robinson. So I can't really blame <laughs> you for reaching for a guy with the name Frank Robinson. Yeah. I mean, just, just name value alone, I think should get me some points. Look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say I, I, I can pander, you know, it, pandering is uh, to our great <laughs> fans, our great listeners, our great. Like, uh, I mean, if, if you want to ruin the integrity of the fantasy draft, I mean, by all means, hey, by all means. Look, Brendan, 4.8 war per season. I mean, that's pretty darn yeah, good. It's good. It's good. I'm getting it's four. Good. And I'm building a team that's built to win now. So, you know, if they win a World Series it, in the first couple of years, that's all that matters. Um, all right. So that could justify it however you need. Paul. That concludes the first <laughs> four rounds. So real quickly, let's just run through our teams, our roster so far. Right now, I have Boog Pal at first base. I have Bobby Gritch at second base, though he can move over to a different position. I have Frank Robinson in right field. And my ace of my staff is Jim Palmer. Brendan, who are the four guys on your team? 
Yeah, I've got Eddie Murray starting at first, Mark Belander holding down shortstop, Ken Singleton as my power hitting right fielder, and Dave McNally, the ace of my rotation. Tim? And for my four guys, Cal Ripken Jr. was my first pick. Brooks Robinson I took with the fourth overall pick. That's the left side of my infield. Doug DeCente is going to be my first baseman. I took him with my fourth pick, I guess. And then Paul Blair I also took in tandem there. So he's my leadoff hitter, my speed at the top of the lineup, and my center fielder. Gotcha. All right. Well, next up, gentlemen, I have back-to-back picks here, so I'm going to kick off the fifth round of this draft by taking another infielder because that pick of Doug DeCense really got me concerned that infielders are going to be hard to come by. So I'm going to go with a guy who wasn't in Baltimore for very long, 1965 to 1972, but was a three-time All-Star during this time period and won three gold gloves Put up 16.7 baseball reference war. That's going to be former player and manager Davey Johnson. And this pick is going to bump Bobby Gritch over to shortstop, where I'm going to have Davey Johnson at second base. But Johnson, you could tell he was, players, teammates could tell he was going to be a manager because of how cerebral he was on the field. He was nicknamed Dum Dum because of how smart he was. And then, of course, shortly after retiring, won a World Series with the Mets as their manager in 1986 before coming back to manage the Orioles for a couple seasons in the 90s. Guys, I I have a feeling Brendan's going to be critical of this pick, but I just don't care, Brendan. I like Davey Johnson as a player, and this is going to really put a a, a, complete picture to my infield here. Well, look, I don't think it's a bad pick, but when you were describing reaching a little bit for a second baseman, it's just not the second baseman I thought you were going to select. Tim, am I alone in that thinking? No, you're not, actually. I was is thinking that he was going to say a different name there, which yep. maybe we will hear in the forthcoming picks. Who knows? But it's not a bad pick. Davey Johnson's a really solid player. I think we're kind of in a different tier now from the early picks in the first and second round where – you know, we're going to have differences in our big board now. Davey Johnson was a little bit lower on mine, but considering, Paul, like you said, that the infield is going here, I think it's a justifiable pick. All right, Brendan, who's your next pick here? In Oh, man. I really don't like not having back-to-back picks. I, I am really yeah, tired of getting the second overall pick in these you, drafts. I, I like how you're making excuses now so that, you yes. know, by the time you end up I'm with the team you don't the want— groundwork then you can say, oh, well, look, I didn't want those picks. Exactly. Yeah, I, I am laying I the that. groundwork with my excuses. <laughs> now, both of you reached a little bit on first baseman because the drop-off to the next best player was pretty steep. And I think I am going to go in a similar direction, but with a different position. That position is going to be catcher, and my pick is going to be Rick Dempsey. <laughs> it, when you look at the catcher position... Rick Dempsey locked down that spot for over 1,200 games under Earl Weaver. His numbers are not eye-popping. He was consistently good. He didn't have any top 20 MVP finishes, did not have any all-star games, but he racked up a war over 20. He was great defensively. So Rick Dempsey, because of how big the drop-off is to the next best catcher, I'm going for the positional advantage behind the dish. And Rick Dempsey is my pick. I love Rick Dempsey as a as a player in this draft and also as a man, longtime Orioles broadcaster as well. Uh, Rick Dempsey is is just a, a fan favorite for so many reasons. Uh, 
of course, had rain delay theater during this time period, during which there were rain delays. He would put a pillow under his uniform and pantomime being Babe Ruth, hitting a calling his shot and then hitting a home run, then running around the da- the bases. An entertainer as well as a broadcaster, and he has some of the best stories anyone can tell about the great Earl Weaver as well. So this this is a fitting pick for this draft here. Tim, what do you think? Well, Brendan, props to you because it's the second straight time that you have taken the guy that I wanted to take with a pick right before me, which is good drafting. You maybe are, are in my draft room or maybe we'll need to look into some collusion potentially, <laughs> but it's a good overall pick there. And I think because you said there is a drop off to the next catchers on our board, it's important to grab him. All right, Tim, who are you taking with back-to-back picks here? So back-to-back picks, I need an ace, and I definitely need to spend one of them, at least one, probably on a pitcher. So I'm going to take Mike Cuellar as my ace here with my next selection. And you can make a case for a couple other guys, but the guy throws a screwball, so that's pretty cool. So I'm going to lean into him. And also just his top-end production, I think, is a little bit higher than the other pitchers provide in this tier. He did want to Cy Young in 1969, and then followed that up the next year by going 24-8 and in 1970. Maybe a little bit less longevity compared to some of the other pitchers, but still getting 17.2 war, according to reference, over the eight seasons we're counting. So... I'll take my ace here and the screwball master, Mike Cuellar. He was the next pitcher on my board as well. They traded rookie of the year winner, Kurt Bleffery, for him. And it turned out to be a great trade because he was incredibly productive with the Orioles. Brendan, would he have been the next pitcher off your big board? Yeah, he would have. Again, just because the peak production is giving you more than a lot of the other guys who were just consistently very good. And at this point, if you're getting an ace of the rotation, I think Cuellar is the correct pick. All right, Tim, next pick. Well, now I'm torn because there are a couple different ways I can go here. My big board sort of getting out of whack at this point. I think I'm going to go back to pitcher, though, here. And with my next selection, I'm going to lock up my number two spot in my rotation. And I'm going to take Scott McGregor with my next selection here. So. I'm getting the bulk of my rotation here. I was a little behind you guys because you guys both had pitchers to this point. And this is a guy who has racked up a war of 21.9 over the 11 seasons we're counting here, which is, I believe, second among draft eligible pitchers in this Earl Weaver draft here. And he basically spent his entire career with the Orioles. He was twice in the Cy Young voting. And also the part I like about him, because I'm really building towards a World Series here, Very clutch in the postseason. 1.63 ERA in his postseason career. Huge part of the 83 World Series team. He's completed six of his his six, or three of his six postseason starts. So I like the guy that comes through in the postseason. So I will take McGregor. Yeah, in 49 and two-thirds career postseason innings. So he got so much experience in October and was excellent. Drafted by the Yankees, but as you said, Tim, the Orioles were the only franchise he ever played for. Uh, I like that you're building this rotation because you don't have quite the level of ace that uh, Brendan and I have here. Do you agree, Brendan? Yeah, I would agree. I think you and I pretty clearly have the first and second best pitchers, but I think Tim probably got the third and fourth best, which is what you have to do if you don't have the two top end guys. So I think it's a smart move going with back-to-back pitchers here. All right, Brendan? 
I was really hoping that Tim would make this decision for me, and he did not because there were two <laughs> players that I was looking at for this pick, and Tim decides to go with back-to-back pitchers and does not select either of them. So I, I think by default, I'm just going to go with the best player of the two, regardless of position, and that player is going to be Al Bumbry. And yeah. He's going to be my starting center fielder. Again, two position players that I was tossing up in my head, but Al Bumbry had the higher war in almost 1,500 games under Earl Weaver. Was pretty good defensively, but not great. Most of his production came offensively, where he had a 283 batting average under Earl Weaver, a 725 OPS, which are not eye-popping offensive numbers, but he still was very good. He won a Rookie of the Year and also had a 13th place MVP finish. So Al Bombri is going to man center field for me next to Ken Singleton, and I think I've got a nice little outfield there to start. One of the best stories in Orioles history, he fought in Vietnam, was awarded a Bronze Star, and the similarities to Cedric Mullins are striking. He switched from righty to lefty at the plate, and that led to a large jump in production, similar to Cedric Mullins, switching from switch hitter to lefty. Uh, Great defensive player. Not great defensive player, as you said. Very good defensive player in center field. Very fast. Uh, Fourth in Orioles history in stolen bases with 252. So a lot of similarities uh, to Mullins that I can see there. And uh, hopefully, one can only hope Mullins follows a similar path because uh, Bumbery put forth a pretty incredible uh, Orioles career in those 13 seasons. I really like this this pick here. What do you think, Tim? Totally agree. I think he honestly probably should have been taken earlier, but yeah. just based on how our rosters and lineup shook out, he fell. So, Brendan, you're probably getting a guy that's maybe three or four posi- or three or four spots in the draft higher in value. So it's a good pick there. All right, I'm going to make this next pick. What round are we up to now? Is this we are concluding. This is the final selection of round six, Paul. Okay. And then uh, after round six, we have round seven. Then we'll call this a podcast, and then we will go forward next week with our next one. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. Uh, I'm going to give this pick. We'll go through the final round before we read our rosters again. All right. I am going to go with a uh, another infielder, I believe, with this pick. Um, and that is going to be... Let me think about this. Do I want to make this pick? Yeah. Rich Dower is going to be my next pick here. Spent 1976 to 1985 with the Orioles. Uh, I have an open spot at third base, and so he's going to fit there as well. One uh, was an all-star ALCS MVP during this time period. First round pick in 1974. He was a gritty infielder and a huge factor on the 1983 World Series team. So I'm kind of boxing Brendan out of an infield by taking Rich Dower here and sticking him at third base. You are a bit, but again, was not the infielder that (laughs) I thought you were going to take. You keep putting the ball on the tee and just not hitting it in the way that I think you're going to hit it. Tim, do you agree? I agree. And once again, I was worried that another name was going to happen. So we will get to that name shortly, I would imagine. But Rich Dower is a good pick, and I think it's nice that he can play second for you as well. So I'm not knocking Rich Dower. I just... This is the second time that I think Paul has started to get into the second baseman talk, and I've gone in a different direction than when he has gone. Or well, my mind has gone in a different direction. The, the way that I built this team, I already have Davey Johnson at second, and I already have Bobby Grich at short, which means that the player that I think that we're talking about can't really fit into the infield, and I don't want to box somebody out entirely 
I mean, if I took that player, Brendan would have, you know, next to no options at second base. So I'm I'm leaving the ball on the tee there for you, Brendan. Uh, But with my next pick, I'm going to go back to uh, the outfield. You guys have both taken center fielders, great center fielders in Paul Blair and uh, Al Bumbry with the last pick. I'm going to go with Merv Rettmond with this next pick and stick him in center field because there's not a true center fielder after him for a while, unless I wanted to get real funky with the positions. And Merv Rettenmund, if you don't have know the name, he was very good. A 133 OPS plus during this time frame from 1968 to 1973. Three-time World Series champion, one with the uh, Cincinnati Reds in 1975, and with California in 1989. And then he went on to be a coach in six, six different organizations. So Merv Rettenmund is going to be my next pick 17 war during this time frame in six seasons, and I'm sticking him in center field. Yeah, again, Rettman was a little bit further down my big board, but I think at this point, especially since Tim and I both have strong outfields to start with good center fielders, I think Rettman's a good pick. Yeah, Tim, what do you think? I agree totally. I think there's a couple guys that you maybe could have gone with in the outfield in the discussion there, but no, no problem taking him. I think it's a good overall pick considering what you needed. All right. So that's my last pick of this podcast. And then Brendan is going to make his pick and Tim's going to make his pick and we'll run through the rosters before we get out of here. All right, Brendan, your next pick. Yeah. I think I know who you're taking here. Paul. Yeah. Did, did not do me any favors in my infield, and I am left with very minimal options, especially at third base, but also at second base. So I think if I do not take a second baseman right now, I am going to completely run out of options. And that second baseman I am going to take is Don Buford. He is the best infielder available. I thought, Paul, you were going to take him two rounds ago when you took Davey Johnson in the fifth round, I thought Buford might go there because he was pretty good. He had a 15th place MVP finish, a 20th place MVP finish was not great defensively. More of his production came on the offensive side, a 270 average under Earl Weaver, 385 on base percentage. So Don Buford is my selection here to be my starting second baseman, because if I didn't select him, my goodness, would my infield be bad. Just a good all-around player, Don Buford. I mean, a man without a position, as he was kind of known in Baltimore, but because he could play those several different positions, that made him very valuable for this team. Uh, Became the first player ever to open the World Series with a homer in 1969. So Don Buford, only five seasons, but very productive five seasons. Tim, I'm guessing you thought that was going to be the guy that was going to go off the board a little bit earlier than he did. Yeah, I mean, he was higher on my big board for sure. And just his positional flexibility, I think, adds to its value as well. A guy that racked up a lot of war in kind of a short amount of time for this exercise. But still, he was really solid winning player. And credit to Earl Weaver, because when you kind of read up on him, it seems like Earl Weaver identified that, you know what, I want to get him and we can put him in the outfield and we can use him to get on base. And that's a guy that's going to get on base for you, Brendan. He's going to steal some bases. He can hit for some power. He kind of does a little bit of everything. So that's a good pick. All right, Tim, wrap up round seven. All right. So I guess I, I can only make one pick right now, right? And yes. then we'll break away for part two. So I'll start my first of two picks in a row here by going to the outfield and making sure that I get my second outfielder who's pretty solid. 
And I'm going to take Gary Renicky here, who could play, I guess, a little bit of different options in the outfield, but I'll stick him in left field because that's sort of what he was known for most. He hit at least 15 homers in four seasons for the O's and his numbers maybe slipped a little bit at times and was a little bit up and down, but you're still getting a guy that his overall production, his overall war is really solid. And I feel like I need to start piecing together my outfield here. So I'll take him. Nicknamed Rhino, half of a sort of platoon with John Lowenstein at, at, uh, in left field for a while for the Orioles. So I think sticking him in left field is the right pick here. Yeah, I, I like Gary Renicky a lot. He was going to be my next guy uh, off the board here, was very good in the 1983 ALCS. Three hits, two, uh, had a double, a homer, and five walks. So a guy that was sort of a part-time player, so to speak. It wasn't a true platoon that Earl Weaver had, but it was forward-thinking managing by Earl Weaver because the platoon was not a big deal back then. It was not as big as it is now when you look at lefty-righty splits. So uh, it is a credit. His career, I think, was bolstered in part by Earl Weaver. So he's very fitting for this pick here. Yeah, and kind of makes the draft board look very similar for all three of us here. Really, the only deviation in terms of team construction is that Tim has opted for one fewer infielder and one more pitcher. But other than that, we all have at least one pitcher. We all have two outfielders and at least two infielders. So very similar roster construction through the first seven rounds of the draft. All right, well, let's run through our teams. I'm going to start with mine. At first base, I have Boog Powell. At second base, Davey Johnson. At third base, Rich Dower. At shortstop, Bobby Gritch. Center field, I have Merv Rettenmund. In right field, I have Frank Robinson. And my ace is Jim Palmer. Brendan, give us your roster so far. Yeah, behind the dish, I've got Rick Dempsey. At first base, Eddie Murray. Second base, Don Buford. At shortstop, Mark Belanger. In the outfield, in center, I've got Al Bumbry. And in right field, Ken Singleton. And then the ace of my rotation is Dave McNally. Tim. For me, I've got my two pitchers off the board, Mike Cuellar, Scott McGregor, are going to be at the start of my rotation. I started by taking two left-side infielders. Cal Ripken Jr. is my shortstop. Brooks Robinson is my third baseman. Doug DeSensei is going to be my first baseman, still trying to fill that hole at second base. And then in the outfield, Gary Renicky and Paul Blair have already been picked for me at left field and center field, respectively. Let us know what you think of our teams so far in the comments of this podcast, and we will begin next podcast with Tim's pick to kick off round eight, and we will go through the rest of the draft through round 15. No relievers off the board yet. Four pitchers, four starting pitchers off the board, and the infields are starting to fill out here. It's a pretty even draft board, honestly. If I'm looking at this, I feel like all teams, all three of these teams have a whole lot of value on them. So let us know what you think so far, and then we will wrap up the draft next week. For Tim Leonard and Brendan Mortensen, I'm Paul Mancano. Thanks so much, and be sure to uh, subscribe. Give us five stars, which you can now do on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Share, like, all that good stuff. Uh, Give us a like on YouTube, especially. That is big for the formula, as they say. Uh, Tim, what is your Twitter handle real quick? At Tim underscore Leonard four. Okay. So, unfortunately, you're going to have to beat up the first three guys, I guess. <laughs> right. That's yeah. that's how it worked. I, I was stuck with unlucky number four there, but that was my baseball number, so it felt fitting. Yeah. All right. And then uh, Brendan, at Brendan Morty is the Twitter handle for him. I am at Paul Mancano. 
Uh, and of course, be sure to follow at Mass and Orioles on Twitter as well. And we will be back with rounds eight through 15 next week. Thanks for tuning in.